0: Let's welcome Brother sapper He don't need an introduction to this pulpit. I promise you, he's done an awesome job. Let's welcome this pulpit tonight.
1: Brother. Give the Lord some praise in the house if you know he's worthy. Why don't we just take about fifteen seconds and just give him the best praise that we can give him? You're glad to be in the house of the Lord. aren't you glad to be in the presence of the Lord? Because in His presence there is fullness of joy. And if our world needs anything, in fact our world needs a lot right now. but if there's one thing our world needs, it is a fresh baptism of joy. Because I understand that the joy of the Lord becomes my strength. Amen. So we get the strength from the joy That we find in His presence Aren't you thankful to know That whenever you get into the presence of the Lord Whatever you have need of Can be made available at that moment And we are in the presence of the Lord tonight And it's always an honor to be in His house Among His people And I never want to get used to being saved I never want to church to become common it's something i do every sunday and wednesday revival prayer meetings i don't ever want it to become just routine where i don't reach out and grab a hold of something supernatural amen even even the lord had to tell peter uh, don't call those things common that i've touched and cleaned i don't ever want this to become common to me i don't ever want this to become just something i do But I want it to be something that I am every single day of my life. Amen. And it's an honor to be back with you tonight and give honor to Brother and Sister Moore and also this great church family as well. And uh, I do feel something on my heart tonight. And in fact, uh, during the preliminaries this morning, Brother Moore just kind of made a passing statement. Uh, But the moment that he made that statement, I just kind of felt a confirmation in my spirit for what I needed to talk about tonight. So I'm going to do my best to do that. But before we get into the sermon, I wonder if we can just lift our hands one more time very quickly. And I know that we've been here uh, for a while now, but let's just lift our hands one more time very quickly. And as our hands are lifted, why don't we earnestly ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds and our spirits. God, I pray that your word would have free course in this room, that it would bring 430, 60, and 100-fold. God, I pray that that word that is not bound would be released in this room in the next few minutes. The word that is not limited, but Lord, you are the word, and I pray that you would move through this house. I ask that you would confirm your word with signs following, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, my message to you tonight is this, with my face toward the enemy, with my face toward the enemy, and you may be seated. Thank you for standing. His name was Isaac Irwin Avery. He was born on December the 20th, 1828 at Swan Pond in Burke County, North Carolina. But he was also born into a lineage, into a family of fighters. You see, Isaac Avery was the grandson of White Steel Avery, a fiery American Revolution war hero who served as the first attorney general of North Carolina and who had once been challenged to a duel by future president Andrew Jackson. But Isaac Avery, along with his three brothers, would all serve during the Civil War. It was as a captain when Avery would command and lead the company of men who fought in the first battle of Bull Run and also in the Battle of the Seven Pines. Then it was in the summer of 1862 when he would be promoted to Colonel. When Brigadier General Robert F. Hope was wounded at the Battle of Chancellorville in May of 1863, it was Isaac Avery who would assume command of the brigade In time for the Gettysburg campaign, the now 34-year-old would then lead his troops forward on a wide sweep north and east of the borough of Gettysburg. But the fire of a nearby Union artillery from Culp's Hill would halt his advancement. Then it was in the early hours of the morning of July the 2nd, when Isaac Avery, along with another brigade, would begin their full-out attack on Cemetery Hill, And it was during this very attack when Isaac Avery would be struck in the neck by a musket ball and fall from his horse, bleeding badly, partially paralyzed on his entire right side and alone. Several hours would pass until he would be found by one of his own soldiers. And it was in the final moments of his life when it happened. This three-star colonel, a man who had led multiple attacks throughout multiple battles, a man now unable to speak because of the wound in his neck. And a man now unable to write because of the paralysis that had set in. A man knowing, but he's just moments away from death, desperately removes a piece of scratch paper from the pocket of that blood-soaked uniform. And this dying man, the history books tells us, takes a stick and begins to dip it in the very blood. Uh, He's losing rapidly by the moment and then scribbles the words uh, on that piece of paper that would propel him into uh, the halls of bravery. Uh, You see, the final words that Isaac Avery would say or even write were on that day these. uh, Major, tell my father uh, I died with my face toward the enemy. Uh, It has been since called, etched in blood, the letter from the dead. Even after Isaac Avery's death, it was Colonel A.C. Godwin who took command of his brigade and later spoke of Avery with the highest admiration by saying that in his death... The country lost one of her truest and bravest sons, and the army one of its most gallant officers. And ladies and gentlemen, while it is true, Isaac Avery was a brave and gallant officer. I not only believe that it was the actions of this man that still causes him to be held in the highest of regard, but I believe it was the attitude he possessed in the final moments of his life that continues to astound war historians today. I'm going to preach this evening about the resolve and the intestinal fortitude this man possessed nearly moments before he closed his eyes for the final time. Bleeding on that battlefield, he said, I've got one thing, Colonel, I want you to do before I pass from this life. There's one thing I want you to carry out. He said, I want you to tell my father I died with my face toward the enemy. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, anybody can stay in the battle when they're winning. It's easy to keep fighting when everything's going your way, but I've come to ask a question tonight, and that is can you continue to fight when you're wounded? Can you stay in the battle even when you find yourself weary? Will you remain where you are when it seems like victory so far out of reach? You see, I believe that is the very reason why people still talk about Isaac Avery today, because in the heat of the battle, when he was wounded and when he was weary, he never wavered, but he stayed with his face toward the enemy. And so I've come to this service tonight to preach about that attitude. I've come to preach about the mentality and the spirit Isaac Avery possessed that day on the battlefield. I've come to reach back in time, 160 years, and preach about the letter from the dead, something that was written by a dying man on the battlefield because I am convinced the very words he wrote that day should become the very words that are pressed within our spirit today that we live with that mindset every single day of our life. In fact, it should become the motto for how you and I live our life because here's reality. There's going to be days when you're tired of fighting. There's going to be days when you wish you were easier and you wish it was more convenient. There's going to be days when you are wounded and you are weary and you may find yourself in a fight. But it's in those moments, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to square your shoulders. You've got to plant your feet in the ground and say, whatever comes my way, I'm going to live my life with my face toward the enemy. Uh, you may ask the question right now, uh, what exactly does that mean uh, with my face toward the enemy? Uh, let me simplify what I'm talking about right now. Uh, with my face toward the enemy uh, simply means, furthermore, uh, uh, I'm not going to take a step back, uh, and I'm not going to back up, uh, and I'm not going to back down, uh, and I'm not going to turn around. Uh, it is a mentality that says uh, I refuse to surrender uh, and I refuse to backslide. It was Isaac Avery uh, who had a determination that said, uh, I'm going to press on I'm going to keep fighting and I will never surrender because anybody can fight when they're winning but you've got to be willing to stay in the fight even when it feels like you're losing and it's going to take that mentality in this hour like never before It's going to take that mentality, especially in the hour, the final days that we're living in right now, it's going to take somebody rising up with a spiritual declaration that says I may be in a fight and I may be in a battle and I may feel like I'm losing more than I'm winning, but I've already made up my mind that I'm not going to leave the church and I'm not going to quit on God and I'm not... And I'm not going to turn around and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to throw in the towel. Can I tell everybody in this room you can be victorious if you want to be. You can be triumphant if you choose to be. You've just got to make up your mind that I may be wounded and I may be weary and I may feel like I'm losing some days but I've already settled the issue. Whatever comes my way Whatever my family has to fight, uh, whatever my church has to fight, uh, I'm going to meet it head on. Uh, I'm going to meet it walking forward uh, because I refuse to turn around uh, and I refuse to quit. You see, this is what's so powerful about Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 7. Now in context, it is another messianic prophecy about Jesus. Because watch this, the prophet Isaiah, speaking of Jesus, says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore, here it is, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I shall not be ashamed. That word flint literally means hardness or something unmovable. And in context, it speaks of our Messiah's unwavering determination to persevere through the excruciating task of a crucifixion. Here's the fact, ladies and gentlemen. Before he came to this earth, he knew he was going to be betrayed. Before he came to this earth, he knew they were going to spit on him. He knew that they were going to mock him. He knew that they were going to beat him and nail him to a cross. But he said, my face is set like a flint. I've already made up my mind. I'm going to go through with it. And it's going to take that unshakable, unwavering determination. Because if we're going to make it in these last days, it's going to take that attitude. That attitude that says, no matter what comes my way, My face is set like a flint. I will live my life facing whatever opposition comes against me. I've got three boys, (coughs) and uh, they're all boys. Thank God for it. I'm not raising three sissies. When I'm in Mississippi, I, I talk about rough and tough boys. Some places, and they look at you funny. <laughs> my boys, they just love to fight. They love to wrestle. They love to um, – I mean, I told somebody the other day at camp, they were kind of laughing. We had our youth camp last week, and I'm back there in the, in the fellowship hall trying to talk and fellowship, and I look up, and two of my boys have another kid down. I mean, just giving it to him. I'm like, hang on, let me go pull my boys off somebody they just love to fight they love to wrestle they love to be physical and especially my middle son Easton now Easton just turned six about three months ago and brother Moore there was about a two-year stretch that Easton went through that it didn't matter who he met didn't matter if he knew you or if he didn't know you you would go up to Easton and say how you doing buddy Easton always had a question of his own you want to fight Now, you laugh about it, but he was dead serious. He didn't care if he knew you or if he did not know you. He was ready to throw down right then and there. And he's still got that grit and that mentality today. And the fact is, while things like that are humorous, Brother Moore, and while they are comical, uh, and while we laugh about it from time to time, uh, can I tell you that while it is comical, uh, there, there's a spiritual principle that we can get from even things like that. Uh, because, ladies and gentlemen, I've come to learn uh, that if we're going to make it, uh, if Adrian Sanford's going to make it, uh, and if you're going to make it, uh, it's going to take that kind of determination if we're going to make it and live for God. Because I wish, Brother Moore, uh, I know that you as a pastor wish uh, that you could tell new converts uh, that now that you've repented uh, and been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, now it's going to be so much easier. I wish we could tell you converts, Brother Troy, that now that you've made up your mind to do right and live for God and put God first and go to church, and the list goes on and on, I wish we could tell those people that life now is a bed of roses and it's smooth sailing from here on out. But we all know that's not true because the moment you make up your mind to live for God, that's the moment the real fight starts. Can I be honest right now and tell you uh, that if none of us have uh, some sort of spiritual grit uh, we're probably not going to make it uh, because living for God uh, at times is a fight. Uh, It's a dog fight uh, and there's going to be days that you wake up uh, and you've got to fight your way to church uh, and you've got to be willing to fight for your family uh, and there's going to be days when you've got to fight for your marriage uh, and fight for your joy uh, and fight for your peace uh, and fight for your praise. Hey ladies and gentlemen, if you feel like You've been fighting a long time. It just comes with the territory. I hear people say all the time, well, ever since I come to God, it's been one fight after another. It's been one struggle after another. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what I tell them, you've got something valuable and you've got something precious. What kind of gospel would we have if the devil's not fighting us over it? What kind of salvation would we have if hell let us have it and just live our life? But you better mark it down when you make up your mind to do right. That's when the enemy begins to put the pressure. We all know what it's like to find ourselves in spiritual warfare. And I preach right now because my Bible tells me in 2 Timothy 2 and 3 that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Brother Troy, that verse says you've got to live with the mentality that says you're going to have to go through some things and you're going to have to go through some battles. And if hell knocks you down, just get back up and keep fighting. Take hell's best shot, get back up and get back in the fight. But whatever you do, don't stop fighting. It was God and God alone. Who tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 to take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore your loins girt about with truth you have the breastplate of righteousness your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace you've got the shield of faith the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit but did you notice what Paul said he said if you're going to be able to withstand in The evil day you better be willing to dress yourself for battle if you're going to stand and make it conflict will come opposition will show up and he said you better be willing to put on the entire armor of God feet with the gospel Loins girt about with truth, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, uh, the sword of the Spirit. uh, But here's what's amazing uh, about the entire armor of God. uh, The armor that I just listed to you, uh, the armor that Paul gives us in the Bible, uh, only covers the front. And there is no armor for your back. Because I believe it was God's way of saying that once you get in this thing I'm not going to take the time to cover your back because once you make up your mind to live for God there's no time to turn around and walk away. And God said I'm not going to take the time to cover your back I'm only going to cover your front because in this battle, in this kingdom it's no time to turn around and walk away but you've got to walk forward even if opposition meets you. This is why 2 Corinthians tells us about the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. Don't forget it was in 1 Timothy when Paul says this charge I commit unto thee Timothy according to the prophecies which went on before thee that thou mightest war a good warfare. And then God says in case you forget I'm coming back five chapters later because in 1 Timothy 6 I'm going to reiterate the fact that you've got to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life and to belabor the point he comes back in the next epistle and says no man warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier time after time after time the point is emphatically made in the Bible God called us to fight it's made numerous times in the Bible. If you're gonna make it, you better be willing to come in contact with spiritual opposition from time to time and not back up. It's a revelation that we better get a hold of like never before. In fact, I'm convinced, Brother Moore, that's why some people never make it. Because it's a revelation they never get. They think once they come to church and make up their mind to live for God, everything's supposed to be easy. Well, why is this happening? I pay my tithes. I go to prayer meeting. I go to church work day. I go to revival services. I'm there every Sunday, Sunday night, and Wednesday. Why is this happening? Ladies and gentlemen, it's a revelation that we better nail down now more than ever before in these last days, especially in these last days. If we're going to make it, we better be willing to fight. You better nail it down now more than ever because in the midst of our screaming and our shouting, in the midst of our preaching and our praise, in the midst of our reaching and revelation, at the end of the day, God said if you're going to make it you better be willing to fight through some things we were not called to the playground we were called to the battleground and I know we love those verses in Ecclesiastes when it says there's a time and purpose and a season to everything under the heaven I know we love that verse that says there is a time of peace ladies and gentlemen I'm thankful for those times of peace Those times when I can kind of lay the sword down, take the helmet off, take the breastplate off, and just kind of rest. Even Jesus in the New Testament pulled his disciples away from the mission field and said, come over here and rest a while. I'm thankful for those times of peace. But you better not stop reading your Bible. Because just as sure as there is a time of peace, there's also a time of war just as sure as there will be times when you can lay that sword down, uh, there's also going to be times when you better be willing to pick that sword back up. Uh, I'm thankful for those peaceful times, uh, but I've got to settle it now more than ever uh, that there will be days uh, when I find myself like Samson, uh, surrounded by a thousand Philistines, uh, surrounded by an enemy uh, that wants to do nothing less than to take his life. Uh, But the Bible says Samson uh, reaches down uh, and picks up the jawbone of a donkey uh, and begins to fight the enemy one at a time. And by the time the story was over, he had slain them heaps upon heaps. Ladies and gentlemen, he got tired and he got weary. And there were probably even times he wanted to quit. But Samson understood, I cannot lay down the weapon and I cannot stop fighting. But he stayed in the battle with his face toward the enemy. There's even going to be days when we find ourselves like David. If going through a valley is not bad enough, valleys, those low times in life, those low times that we all have to go through, if that's not bad enough, there's a man named Goliath on the other side of that valley. A man who is a legend of war. A man who had killed countless men with the edge of his sword. A man. That Saul was not willing to fight. A man that the men of Israel were not willing to fight. I don't want to get sidetracked, but can I tell you, it was not David's place to fight Goliath. It was Saul's place. Because who better to fight a giant than a giant himself? Because Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. They were the most skilled warriors of Israel. They were the ambidextrous warriors of their day because they could kill you with their left hand as easily as they could kill you with their right hand. In fact, they were so accurate with a slingshot that the Bible says they could hit a hair's breadth. That's how accurate and deadly they were. His father was Kish, a legend of war himself. Who better to fight Goliath that a man tailor-made for the battle. But where's Saul? Hiding in the tent. Where are the leaders, the men of Israel? Hiding in the tent. David is having to fight a giant that somebody else should have taken care of. David is having to fight a battle that should have been taken care of before David ever walked to the battlefield. How many times have you and I had to fight battles that somebody else should have taken care of long ago? How many times, brother Moore, do we have to fight battles uh, that a previous generation should have fought or somebody older than us should have fought? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I've made up my mind uh, that my children are going to have to fight enough devils. uh, They're going to have to fight enough Goliaths. uh, And so daddy's not going to run away from a giant uh, that I can take care of now. And I feel my Holy Ghost right here. I'm not going to run away from a battle and put it off on my kids and their generation. If I can take care of it today, I'm going to kill Goliath today because I'm not going to make my kids fight a giant that daddy should have taken care of. And so the men of Israel are in a tent, and Saul's in a tent. But while everybody else was running away from the battle, your Bible says David ran to the battle. He ran to the valley to meet Goliath because David was making a spiritual declaration. You may run from it. You may hide from it. But there's some giants that cannot be avoided. There's some battles you cannot run away from. There's some things you've got to take care of now. David is fighting a giant that nobody else wanted to fight. But David said, I'll fight him with my face toward the enemy. Can I tell you that we set ourselves up for failure if we think we're going to get to live for God without having to pick up a sword from time to time. Can I just preach what I feel tonight? See, I don't believe God chose David just because he was a singer, songwriter, musician. Oh, I know the Bible calls them the sweet psalmsters of Israel. But that Bible also says, David says, God, you've taught my hands to war. See, I believe the reason why God chose David is because David could play a harp in one hand and drive away evil spirits. But David could also pick up a sword in the other hand and slay giants in the valley of Elah. The reason I believe why God chose David is because David learned the balance between praise and worship and spiritual warfare. And just like we talked about this morning, David was a fighter because the women of Israel sang the song. David has killed his 10,000s. Because I believe at the end of the day, we're going to be known more for the fight in our spirit rather than the talent in our hands. Because anybody can sing, anybody can play when you're winning. But can you put the harp down, David? And can you pick up a sword? And can you fight for your family? And can you fight for your man? I know you can run the aisles on a Sunday night when the emotions are high. But David, when push comes to shove, can you put the heart down? And can you pick up a sword? And can you fight Goliath? David said, I'll tell you why I'm willing to fight him. There was a day to keep my father's sheep. And here comes a lion out. And the lion takes one lamb from the flock. But David, it's only one. One out of dozens, maybe hundreds. Can you really miss one out of a hundred? David, why are you going to risk your life fighting a lion over one lamb? See, David has a revelation about the enemy. That he may have only taken one today, but he's going to want three tomorrow. And if I compromise today and let him... Man, I feel my Holy Ghost right here. If I compromise today and let him take one now, he's going to come back and his appetite will not be satisfied with one. He's going to want three and then he's going to want five. And before I realize it, I'm going to turn around and the entire flock has been destroyed. And so David said, you may not be willing to fight the line over one, but there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. And David said, if I... I've got to risk my life. It's worth fighting for. For the more said it this morning, and it resonated in my spirit. I don't even know if you remember saying it. But he said there's some things in life that are worth fighting for. And can I tell everybody in this room, the world thinks marriages aren't worth fighting over anymore. They think our kids aren't worth fighting over anymore. But I'm rising tonight to tell you that our marriages and our families and our children and our churches and revival and the list goes on and on, it's worth fighting for. Is there anybody in Bendale, Mississippi that says, you know what? I'll fight every devil. I've got to fight. I'll pray as much as I've got to pray. But I've got to have a move of God. I've got to have revival. Come on, I've come to challenge some people in the house and tell you, thank God for praise and worship. I love it as much as anybody else. But there's some days you've got to put the harp down. and You've got to pick up the sword. Let me give you a sermon inside of a sermon. I'll tell you how David killed How did David knock Goliath down? One stone, that's right. One they picked up five, but they only needed one. You know, the Bible says a lot about stones. There's stones in the priest's breastplate. There's stones in the temple. There's going to be stones in the 12 foundations of heaven. You begin to study stones, you find out that stones represent a lot of things in the Bible. They represent doctrine. They represent truth. They represent principles in the word of the Lord. But then there's another stone that Jesus talks about. When he says, if you hold your peace, the what? The stones are going to cry out. I am convinced that the stone David knocked Goliath down with was a stone of praise. Because I'm not minimizing praise and worship. Understand my premise. It was a stone of praise that knocked Goliath down. See, this is why we have praise and worship before the preaching. Because do you know what you're doing while you're giving God praise and worship? You're knocking giants down. You're knocking Goliath down. But David also gets the understanding in the revelation that just because he's down doesn't mean he's dead. And if I walk away now, he's going to eventually get back up off the ground. And now I've got to deal with a half-dead giant. How many times do people deal with half dead giants because while their praise and worship knocked the giant down. They didn't finish the job when Goliath was subdued at their feet. But David understands this about Goliath. Now that I've knocked him down with praise and worship, I'm going to put the stone down. I'm going to put the slingshot down. And I'm going to walk up to Goliath, and I'm going to pull the sword out, and I'm going to finish the job. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it was praise and worship that knocked Goliath down, but it was the sword. It was the Word of God that took care of Goliath when he was subdued. Because the principle is this, you've got to learn the balance between praise and worship and spiritual warfare. The reason a lot of people have half-dead giants in their life is because they love to seek and shout and praise. Don't you pull that sword out. Don't you preach to me. Don't you tell me how I'm supposed I want to shout and I want to sing. But, Brother Moore, I know, I know there's nobody like this here. But there's people like this in Walnut. They can go to church and they can shout with the best of them. They can run the aisles with the best of them. They can roll in the floor. But when hell comes knocking Monday morning, they're nowhere to be found. Because they've never learned the balance between a harp and a sword. But, David, if you're going to make it, you know what David did not carry to the battle? He did not take a harp. He took a sling and a rock. And then he picked up a sword Because you've got to sometimes Be willing to fight your way through things Why do you think Isaiah said For every battle of the warrior Is with Confused noise And garments rolled in blood Did you catch it? He said for every battle of a warrior Is with Confused noise, praise and worship, and garments rolled in blood, spiritual warfare. It takes both if we're going to make it. We can be known for talent and ability and giftings and all those things. But at the end of the day, if we're going to make it, we're going to have to be willing to fight through things. See, we marvel at Simon Peter, don't we? Simon Peter's that guy that's always just kind of throwing himself into conflict. Simon doesn't need to look for trouble. Trouble, just find Simon. <laughs> Simon's the guy that when Jesus begins to tell his disciples of all the things he's got to go through, boy, Simon's ready to fight the entire Roman government. Lord, I'll kill them all before they do it to you. And Jesus says, Simon, you'll run out of time before you run out of Roman soldiers. But Simon's just got that attitude, that, mentality that says Lord I'll fight with you everybody else can walk away but I'll be here remember Simon's the guy that when Judas comes and betrays Jesus with a kiss here's Simon pulling that sword out now I know we've heard a lot of preaching about Simon and cutting that dude's ear off but remember Simon is not a swordsman he's a fisherman (laughs) he's more familiar casting a line than he is swinging a blade Simon did not cut that guy's ear off because he's got such good aim. He was trying to cut his head off. And the priest got out of the way just in time to lose an ear. But we read stuff like that, don't we? And we marveled. There's just a fight about Simon Peter. But can I tell you, when you begin to study it out, it's not a coincidence. Because when you begin to study 11 of the 12 disciples, 11 of the 12 were from the Galilean region. That is important because it was the region of Galilee that was given as an inheritance to the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali. You remember all the way back in the book of Judges, when God went to war, it was only the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali that stayed and fought for God. In fact, God said, "Zebulun and Naphtali have stayed with me. They jeoparded their lives even unto death. All the other tribes ran away. All the other tribes put their sword down and fled. But God said it was only Zebulon and Naphtali And so God looks at those two tribes And says I'm giving you the region of Galilee As an inheritance So could it be? that when God robed as the man Jesus walks the earth and begins to look for men when he begins to look for men that are going to peddle the gospel and carry the message he said brother Troy I'm going to Galilee for one reason that's where the fighters are that's where the fighters come from can I tell this congregation that the early church was built on the backs of 11 men who were not scared of conflict who was not scared of opposition the reason why the New Testament church was built and successful is because there were there 11 men that said, I'll pray more if i got to pray more. I'll fast more if I've got to fast more. I'll fight any devil. I've got to fight. But we've got to have a church. And can I tell everybody in this room, the principle remains the same. If we're going to have revival today, it's going to take the same mentality. It says, whatever comes our way, whatever opposition we've got to deal with, we'll fight through it. What's even more amazing is only one out of the 12 did not come from Galilee. His name was Judas. And Judas was the one that threw in the towel when the pressure got hot. Can I tell everybody in this room, if we're going to make it, if we're going to have revival, it's going to take individuals saying, you know what? Brother Moore, I'll stand right shoulder to shoulder with you and I'll fight. We've got to be willing to fight with our leadership and fight with our brothers and sisters, not each other. But we've got to fight with them shoulder to shoulder and say we're in this thing together. Because this is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. That's why Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I'm preaching to people in this house. I'm preaching to a church of people. You have not gotten to where you are in God without a fight. None of us in this room, whether you've been in church five minutes or 50 years, you have not gotten to where you are in God without some sort of opposition and conflict. And I'm preaching to people in this room today. We all are in a fight. We all are in a battle. We all sometimes wake up weary. And there's days that we're battle-worn. And we sometimes it feels like it's always something else. I get over this, and here comes that. I get over that, and here comes this. I know we're tired. I know we're weary. But I've come with good news to tell this congregation that while we may be in a fight, you hear me right now, the fight has already been fixed. I know we're in a war, Brother Troy, but the war has already been predetermined. Can I tell everybody in this room? The church will be triumphant. The church is not going to survive in the last days. The church is going to thrive in the last days. You think God's gonna come back after a church, anything less than what He left? You're sadly mistaken. But the church is gonna thrive, and the church is gonna have revival. And we're going to keep baptizing people. Uh, and we're going to keep seeing people get the Holy Ghost. Uh, and we're going to keep seeing people restored, uh, And backsliders come back. Uh, the battle's already been overrun. Uh, it's already been predetermined. Uh, when the dust settles, uh, the church is still going to be standing. I've read the back of the book. Anybody ever heard that? And that's true. We can read the last book, Revelation, and the Bible tells us. The dragon is cast down. Can I tell you, God is so God that God did not wait until the last book to tell us we win. God tells us in the first book we win. In fact, it only takes God three chapters into the Bible to spoil everything. The serpent beguiles Adam and Eve, right? They eat of the fruit. God begins to pass out curses. Adam, you're going to know you're going to earn your wages by the sweat of your brow. Eve, you're going to know the pain of childbirth. But then he looks at the serpent and he said, Because you've done this, you're cursed above all cattle of the field, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly, you're going to go. And watch this you're going to eat the dust all the days of your life. God looks at the devil and says, Your diet is going to be dust. Isn't that amazing because we as humanity were made from the dust of the earth? and we as humanity made from the dust of the earth God looks at the devil and says you're going to eat the dust of the earth that's why from that moment until now you and I have been fighting and wrestling with an adversary because he's wanting to feed on us he's wanting to devour us his diet is the dust of the earth but here comes the glimmer of hope here comes the crushing promise but God said I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed you may bruise his heel but that he Hill is going to crush your head from the very beginning. Three chapters into your Bible. God spoils everything. The church is going to win. The church is going to be triumphant. The church is going to be standing. You trace church history all through the ages. And Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. From the garden all the way to Revelation, there's been adversaries and there's been opposition, but the church still marches on. In fact, God is not going to have a wrestling match with the devil in the end. In fact, God's not even going to do the dirty work himself. He's going to send one angel with one chain. And that angel with one chain is going to bind that devil and throw him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. My point is, if an angel without the Holy Ghost can do that, what can a church full of people that have the Holy Ghost do? See, Revelation says he knows he has but a short time to work. He knows his leash is short. His time is limited. He knows his end. But sometimes the church has to be reminded. Because when we're in the daily grind every single day, it's sometimes hard to remember. Victory has already been predetermined. Because while the fight is already fixed, hear me right now, we're going to round this out. While the fight is fixed in our favor, you have to stay in the fight to win. We've heard about those things called rigged fights. It doesn't matter what generation, what era, there's always been this fascination with rigging fights in favor of one man. But here's the deal. Brother Moore, say you're in a boxing match, and they come to your dressing room and say, hey, good news, it's rigged in your favor. You're going to have to box all 12 rounds, 15 rounds, whatever it is, but the judges have already determined, even if he outlands you two to one, it's it's rigged in your favor. Here's the point. Even though it's rigged in your favor, you've still got to put the gloves on. You've still got to walk out of the dressing room, down the ramp, get in the ring, and you've still got to throw punches. Even though it's already been determined you're going to win, you've still got to show up and you've still got to fight to win. Can I tell you the same principle applies in this spiritual battle we're in. The church is going to be triumphant. The church is going to win. It's already been predetermined. But you hear me, ladies and gentlemen? If you're going to be a part of the victorious church you got to stay in the fight. I've come to tell everybody in this room how to be victorious. Just keep fighting. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, but he that endures until the end, the same shall be saved. Well, he kind of does away with once saved, always saved in one little verse. Now, I don't want to rock the boat of theology, but None of us in this room are saved yet. Now, we've obeyed the gospel. We're in the kingdom. Jesus told Nicodemus, you can't see it or enter unless you're born of water and spirit. And when we're born of water and spirit, we enter into the kingdom. We've checked off all the boxes of salvation in order to make it. But then Jesus says, now that you've done that, you're going to have to endure something. I know people today that have obeyed the gospel, and they're nowhere near close to the church. Because somewhere along the way, they stopped fighting, and they walked away. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to endure some things. That's why my Bible says the race is not to the swiftest. Because this fight is a marathon, not a sprint. We love to quote that verse. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you notice the order in which he listed that? He said, first you fly, then you run, then you walk. If we were to quote that verse, we would have put it the other way. You got to walk first, then run, then fly. But the point is, it doesn't matter how high you can fly. And it doesn't matter how fast you can run. Can you keep walking day in and day out? That's what it comes down to. Because anybody can fly with eagles on a Sunday night blowout service. Anybody can run with the chariots and the horses on a blowout midweek service, but the real measure of a Christian isn't measured by how high you can fly and how fast you can run. Can you keep walking every single day? even when you're weary and you have every excuse in the world to stop there's a thing known as the fight or flight response it's also known as the acute stress response and they tell me this response is triggered by hormones in the body that prepare you in a moment in an instant when danger is present hormones are released in your body to either run away from the problem Or to stay and deal with the problem. This is what makes Psalm 78 and 9 so staggering. The Bible says the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They were armed, had everything they needed to be victorious, but they chose to lay it down and walk away. Did you know that Ephraim and the children of Ephraim were descendants and ancestors of Joshua? Joshua, who was synonymous with conquering and victory, leading the children of Israel into Canaan land. It was in their blood to be victorious, it was a part of who they were. But they still chose to walk away. Can I tell everybody in this room that just like the children of Ephraim, we too are armed. And have everything we need to make it. God has blessed us with a church. He's blessed us with shepherds, pastors, leadership. He's given us His Word, His Spirit, His blood, His name. The deck is stacked in our favor. But if Adrian Sanford doesn't make it, I will have no excuse. I have to live with a mindset. That says, yes, there will be days that come when I don't feel like fighting and I don't feel like struggling my way through it. But I have to live with a mindset to keep moving forward every single day. As they come to the piano this evening, if they would like, John chapter 6 is a very fascinating chapter in context. Because to understand what's going on in John 6, you have to be reminded that many times Jesus would do miracle signs and wonders. And because of the miracle ministry of Jesus, he would always gain a large crowd of people. And then he would take advantage of having all those people by beginning to preach and teach to them principles concerning the kingdom. So it was in John chapter 6. There is a crowd of people around Jesus, but now... Jesus transitions from the miracle ministry and he begins to teach and preach. And when Jesus lowers the boom of reality and tells them that there's going to be days when there are no miracle signs and wonders. When he begins to tell them, like you said earlier, there's going to be days when you don't walk by feeling. You have to walk by faith. When he begins to tell them that there's going to come days of opposition and days of hardness, days of difficulty, John chapter 6 and verse 66. John 6, 6, 6 says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. When they heard it's not always going to be easy, they said, I'm done with it. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter that fighter looked back at Jesus and said, I don't care who leaves. I don't care who walks away. It may stun me when some people walk away from church and truth. Peter looked at Jesus and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what Peter was telling Jesus? Lord, after we've experienced all of this, what else is there to go to? As we stand all over this room, can I tell everybody in this house the atmosphere that we have felt this morning and tonight, the move of the Holy Ghost that we've experienced today, when you've been exposed to that, when you have felt that, When you have tasted of the world to come, there's nothing else out there to go to. That's why Peter was simply saying to the Lord, there is no other option. There is no plan B. Can I tell everybody in this room that I, like you, have faced troubles and trials and difficulties? I, just like everybody in this room, have gone through seasons of more questions than answers. Seasons when it felt like I couldn't find God. No matter how hard I prayed, no matter how much I searched. But you know the reason why I'm still here today is because I had to make up my mind, Brother Troy. I've got to keep facing everything and not turn and walk away. I was talking to somebody the other day in Florida. I told that young man, Brother Moore, I said, you're going to have every excuse in the world to quit. I said, you're going to have it. If you want to find one, you can find one. Everybody in this room right now, you take inventory. It'll take about five seconds, and you'll find a a pretty good reason why you could walk out of those doors and feel justified. I told him, I said, you search long enough, you're going to find a reason to quit. I said, but if there's one word that should not be in your vocabulary, the word quit should never come out of your lips. This is why, and, and we're living in a generation that just quits when stuff gets hard. Gets too difficult, quit. Try something else. Marriage goes through a rocky spell, just quit, find you another one. We've made quitting so easy and accepted. That's why a lot of people don't make it in the church, because it's been bred into them. I'm going to quit. This is why me and my wife, we, we made a promise to each other when we got married, before we got married. So that D word will never come out of our lips. Divorce. I said, we'll we'll never verbalize it, we'll never speak it. Before my daughter was born, we made another commitment. Regardless of what we go through and what we deal with, we will never speak one negative thing about the church in front of our kids. I said, I don't care if we feel justified. I don't care if we're right and they're wrong. I said, I'm not letting that bleed down to my kids. Because once it bleeds down into them, it gives them an excuse when things happen and things go wrong. Well, I'll walk away. I'm not going to take what my parents took. I'm not going to deal with what they Lord, where are we going to go? This right here. the best thing that you could ever be a part of this side of heaven I'm trying to quit you know I'm sure when the rain started to fall Noah his wife three boys daughter-in-laws they were all glad to be on that side of the door all those disagreements and all those arguments they kind of went to the back burner I'm just glad to be on this side of the door because the Bible says God shut the door can you imagine the screaming and the banging trying to pry that door open and while they were so happy to be on that side of the ark let a few days pass let reality set in they're out there just kind of like a cork I don't care how big that ark was after a couple months I'm sure those walls begin to close in I'm sure arguments and disagreements were had. You get family around long enough. (laughs) How would you like to have cleanup duty on the ark? I hope they had a good septic system is all I can say. Because in the beginning, they were just glad to be there. They were glad to be saved. They were glad to be in the church. But once all that kind of faded away and reality began to set in, and it wasn't so easy. Can I tell you, in spite of all the disagreements and all the arguments and all the misunderstandings, they would have never traded places with people outside the ark. Because the point is, the stink inside the ark will always be better than the storm outside the ark. Why don't we lift our hands right now all over this house and I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now I feel like the Holy Ghost is coming to this room to encourage strengthen and uplift every weary heart in this house to encourage and strengthen and uplift every weary soul by telling you just stay in the fight stay in the battle Come on, why don't you just join with somebody right now if you're not even, if you're not joined with somebody yet. I tell you what, why don't you join with somebody and why don't you tell them, let's go to the front. We're going to pray one for another right now. I know it's eight o'clock. We're not going to belabor the point. I tell you what, why don't you, as you join with somebody, I want you to hear me. Before you start praying with each other, I want you to look at them and tell them you're going to make it. I know that's simplistic, but you don't know who needs to hear that in this house right now. You don't know the thoughts that they've been having the last few days. Come on, why don't you speak that word of encouragement to somebody and tell them you're going to make it. Come on, why don't you pray right now for your brothers and your sisters. Pray encouragement. Pray strength over them. Come on, Jesus' name, church. The fight's going to be worth it. The fight's going to be worth it. Stay in the battle. Just keep fighting. It's a struggle.
2: Then alone. It's when we reach for our holy armor, take out our shield of faith. We march on to the battlefield, pick up our sword and say, The mountain's high, but it's not too steep. The battle is rough, but I'm not too weak. I won't turn back, no. I won't turn back. The road is hot, but it's not too long. Enemy is dear, but it's not too strong. I won't turn back no no. I won't turn back the mountains high, but it's not too steep. The battle is rough, but I'm not too weak. I won't turn back no no. I won't turn back the road is hot, but it's not too long. The enemy is dear, but it's not too strong. I won't turn back no no won't turn back. It's a struggle for survival. Each day we meet the foe. We're out there on the battlefield. There are times we're gonna stand alone. Until I reach for a holy armor. Take out our shield of faith. And I march on to the battlefield, I pull out my sword and say the mountain's high, but it's not too steep. The battle is rough, but I'm not too weak. And I won't turn back, no, I won't turn back, no. The road is hot, but it's not too long. The enemy is there but he's not too strong. I won't turn back, no, I won't turn back. The battle is rough, but I'm not, not too weak. And I won't turn back home. No, no. I, I won't turn back. back. The, road the road is high, but it's not, it's not too steep. The battle is rough, but I'm not too weak. And I, won't back, back, no, no. I, I won't turn back home. I won't turn back. The road is hot, but it's not too long. The, the element is near, but it's not, not too strong. I won't turn back home. I won't turn back, the mountain's high, but it's not too steep, the battle is rough, but I'm not too weak, I won't turn back, no, no. I won't turn back, the road is, high, but the road is hot, but it's not too long, the enemy is near, but it's not too strong, And I won't turn back, no,
1: I won't
2: turn back. I'm not too weak, I won't turn back, no, I won't turn back, the road is hot but it's not too long, the enemy is near but he's not too strong, I won't turn back.
3: I with a say I will I am going to face the enemy head on. Turn I'm gonna keep on I I'm going to keep marching straight down. ahead. Turn I, turn I turn got Alone. As we
2: reach for the holy armor, armor To and take out the shield of faith
3: and, and I'll march on to the, the battle With a word of God in my soul and pain The mountain's high but it's not oh, too yeah. steep The battle yeah. is rough but yeah. I'm, I'm not too weak yeah. And I won't we'll turn, turn, right we'll turn right now The road is high but
2: it's not too long the enemy's here, but not, not too strong. To I, won't I, I won't turn back now. I won't turn back now. The mountain's high, but it's not too steep. The battle is rough, but I'm not too weak. And I, I won't, won't turn, turn back now. I won't turn back now. The road is hard, but, but it's not too long.
3: The enemy's here, yeah, but it's not bad. too strong. I won't turn back now. I won't, I won't turn back. Anybody got a made up mind tonight? Anybody got a made up mind tonight? I said, anybody got a made up mind tonight? Said, tonight? Are you willing to face I the enemy? I said, are you willing to I face won't the won't enemy? Turn ah, will you say it with us? I, I won't. Will Turn back, back. Oh, I will turn back, back. I I've come to pray
2: I won't turn back i won't turn back now the mountain's high but it's not too steep the battle is rough but i'm not too weak i won't turn back no i won't turn back the road is hot but it's not too long the enemy is near, but it's not too strong i won't turn back no i won't turn The battle is rough, but I'm not too weak, and I I won't won't turn turn back. No, No. I won't won't turn turn back. back. I won't turn back. The road is hot, but it's not too
3: long. The The enemy is near.
2: Come on, you gotta get a made-up mind.
3: You gotta get a made-up mind. Come on, you gotta make it up in your mind that you're gonna stay with God, that you're gonna walk this walk of faith. Come on, you're gonna walk this walk. You're willing to fight the enemy. You might have to run him tooth and nail, but you gotta make up your mind. You're gonna stay in the fight. If God be for you, who can be against you? But you gotta stay in the fight. You gotta have a willing mind. You gotta say, the mountain's high, but it's not too steep. You can't look at the enemy and see a giant. You gotta see an uncircumcised Philistine. It's how you see the enemy. Determine how you're going to fight and how you're going to win the battle. Oh, come on now. You're never going to win without a struggle. You're never going to walk without a struggle. Whether you're in I the church or out of the back. church, you're going to face some of the same things. You might back. as well face them with God on your side. you got to say, I won't turn back. It's a struggle for survival. Each day we meet the foe. We're out there on the battlefield, back, and we're always in a struggle. Back, are you going to fight? Come on, are you going to fight? I won't turn back, I won't Everybody say it with us again. Say, I won't. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I won't. the enemy and save David John you're in the Bible to help your brother win come on we gotta help each other yeah, I won't turn back I won't
2: But it's not too strong. And I won't turn back. No. I won't turn
3: back. Oh, have you got a made up mind tonight? Thank you, Brother Sanford. Thank you, Brother Sanford. Come on, have you got a made up mind? Hey, are you going to praise God with one hand up and fight the enemy with the other? some more is coming right now hallelujah we got to stay in the fight we just got to stay in the fight and let God fight the Lord bless
0: you you may be seated
3: let God fight
0: praise God we got something worth fighting for is there not a cause amen that's what David understood there is a cause and a reason to fight we're fighting not only for our eternity and souls but we're fighting for our loved ones and friends and neighbors and children our community and all around us God bless you tonight. Love and Appreciate you. Brother Sanford's going to be back with us Wednesday night. Have we thoroughly enjoyed the ministry and preaching of Brother Sanford today? I'm telling you what. He has fed our souls and put the word of God into our hearts and minds tonight. I'm telling you, he has done an outstanding job in ministering unto us just straight out of the word of God. And that's what we need. We're going to make that stand if we're going to put up that fight, we've got to know what we're fighting for and who we're fighting for. Amen. I'm glad I know what side to be on. Amen. Thank God for this good apostolic doctrine and preaching and teaching in the house of the Lord tonight. Love you and appreciate you. Birthdays. Got any birthdays? All right. Sister Judy. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. Boy, if he was, you know, if he was 16, you'd get all the money, wouldn't you? Oh, wait a minute. Look at him. Here comes some more. Oh, we forgot some. Hey, y'all gotta y'all gotta back up.
2: Let's <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. get it up,
0: boys. They're doing a good job. We're waiting on the name to get on the screen. Everybody wants their name on the screen. Hey, I don't blame them. (laughs) Ah, We want it written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Let's sing happy birthday to them. Come on, let's give them a good hand tonight. God bless them. Amen, amen. No anniversaries. All right. Why don't we stand? Go in the back and have fellowship tonight so we won't linger here. Uh, Don't forget to other camp meetings that are taking place. I know Pine, Louisiana started today and then Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Don't hold me to the speakers, but it seems like I've heard, I think, tomorrow by the Tony Spell. I don't know if they have two speakers tomorrow or not. But anyway, and then, but I do know young Brother Holmes will be there tomorrow night. Elder Brother Holmes will be there Tuesday night. Uh, Brother uh, Von Morgan will be there. Okay. So maybe we got it covered. Uh, I haven't really seen nothing on it. That's just what I've heard from others. If anybody would like to go out at Brother Jerry Cox's church. Ladies fun night, Tuesday night. Ladies fun night, Tuesday night. So don't forget about that. 7 o'clock. Ladies fun night, Tuesday night. All right? Okay. Anything else? Slim gems. Father's the Slim Jims. Let's don't forget that. Amen. Praise God. That's coming up. That's, that's right around the corner here. In fact, it's one week from today. One week from today. So you got a week. No, actually, you can eat them in today right today we need them in today so if you plan on getting some amen (laughs) write a bad check do something praise god (laughs) (laughs) trust your heavenly father to help you cover it Amen. You know what I'm saying. All right. Let's ask God to bless the fellowship and food. Lord, we love you today and appreciate you. So good. So thankful for your goodness and grace and mercy. The word of God, the power of the Holy Ghost. God, I ask you to reach down. Touch each and all that's in this house tonight. Touch the fellowship. Bless the hands of prepared it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.